This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. We're both in the same room. We're in our actual crap panic room. We back now. Like Tyson Fury, I am... Gypsy King, the best. Oh, so happy to see you, Dave. It's been, listeners, the end of a long day. We had a television show. Yeah. With Caroline Wozniacki. Yeah. She was good. She was candidate for top three guest all time. Yeah. We've just watched Liverpool come back from the dead. Surprise, surprise. Candidate for top three host of all time, Rog. We're going now back to back. We're taping a pod. Which means, warning, I am seven buds in. <laughs> Good news for all of yous who believe that tired Rog, slightly beers in Rog, slightly defeated broken Rog yeah. is the best Rog. Yeah. When have we not seen defeated broken Rog? I'm not aware of there being a undefeated <sighs> put together Rog. Me, right now, I am cold. Yeah. I am shamed. I'm lying naked on the floor. My emotions are set on Natalie uh-huh. and Bruglia levels. Oh, good. It's my life. I aspire to Kenny Loggins. I do. Don't we all, in a way, aspire to Loggins levels? And I have to settle for Imbruglia. We have just watched Liverpool. Yeah. Oh, beat West Ham. What is dead may never die. Yeah. So let's dive right in, David. Mostly because oh, I'm going to pass out in a minute. <laughs> okay, we've got a pack show, Rog. We've got an instant reaction to Liverpool's... I mean, yes, routine win, but they find a way to make it interesting. They're keeping, the, they they're keeping the neutrals happy. Their win over West Ham. We talk a five-goal thriller between Arsenal and Everton that ends in the uh, way so much in this world does, Rog, with you sad. And Frank Lampard <laughs> does the league double over Jose Mourinho. Let's have a toast. Rog, make a toast. Come oh, on, lift mate. everybody up, Rog. Lift uh, us all up. I'm going to lift you up in the only way I know how, by bumming you out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I want to raise this. How did we not call this podcast? How did we not call this brand? Lift you up by bumming you out a little bit. (laughs) Gonna lift you up by bumming you out. Oh, I love that. Bumming you out. I feel better just saying that word. I'm lifting my seventh bud of the day to American tenacity. Yeah. Bit dark this weekend, Dave. Our mate, DeAndre Yedlin. You know him as the reigning Men in Blazers American American Player of the Year. Didn't get onto the field for Newcastle. Christian Pulisic's return has been downgraded to no set date as his grinding season of fleeting wonder continues to mm, kind of fritter away. And the greatest single player ever to be named after a Harrison Ford movie, Indiana Vasilev, is now with the under-23 squad. So I reached out to our old friend Paul Cott. Yeah. And I said... How is the U.S. doing in terms of Premier League contribution this year? How does it stack up? Yeah. And he didn't have to wait a second. He got right back to me, almost gleefully. And this is shocking, Davo. Yeah. He said, Americans are on pace to have their fewest Premier League minutes since the 2000-2001 season. Wow. When the great Joe Max Moore uh-huh. was the only American in the Premier League. Didn't you used to call him Joe Max Less? Yep, Everton's Joe Max Moore, <laughs> yeah. who Everton fans used to call. Joe Max Less. One of the greatest nicknames of all time. Oh, Joe J- Max Less. J- Joe Max Leslie, you know what I mean? Oh, Joe Max Less, he's shines hard. He means well. He's got a heart of gold. Just 1,885 minutes for American players this season. 1,076 of them by Pulisic. 773 for Yedlin. 36 
for Indy. I raise this bud fam blood fam <laughs> to our country of 330 million people, to our country's best footballers on the male side, to young listeners who aspire to be those best footballers and encourage you to grind, test yourself, forge yourself in the big leagues because that number, 1,885 minutes, Dave, I've spent more time taking Jaeger shots just in the month yep. of February myself. <laughs> that is a national disaster. They've got to start talking about it in the Super Tuesday debate. What is Pulisic's injury? Does anybody actually know his injury? Is it hurt feelings? I'm not <laughs> yeah, quite sure not what it is. Out. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not coming out! I'm very upset! I'm very upset! Maybe not nice to me! <laughs> I don't want to! I don't know what it is. Anyway, I wish him a speedy recovery. Let's look on the bright side, Rog. DeAndre Yedlin is looking at developments going on in football management and coaching. He is going to make a fortune as a throw-in coach at one of the great international clubs. He's going to be the highest-paid throw-in coach of all time, the throw-in specialist, DeAndre Yedlin. And with Liverpool locking up the title, the top four or five looking ever more cemented, relegation team, the only real intrigue left this season is who will be Men in Blazers' American-American Player of the Year. Yeah. I think we might just have to... It could be somebody new emerges and gets more minutes than all of the other we three combined. We might have combined. to give it to Brexit just for the kicks. Yeah, we will see, Rog. Okay, the game that just ended, Liverpool 3, West Ham 2. Cardiac Klopp takes another step towards title glory in a nervy affair, Rog. Surprisingly nervy affair on Merseyside. Genie Wijnaldum put Liverpool on autopilot in the ninth minute, only to see West Ham storm back and score twice. David Moyes' mob held the lead until the 68th minute when Mo Salah levelled the score with the softest of soft goals that squeaked through El Fab's five-hole. And in the 81st minute, as if there were any doubt whatsoever, it's like a Marvel movie, Rog, Sadio Mane latched onto a Trent pullback to tap-tap-taparoo the ball into an empty net. 44 games undefeated. A staggering 79 out of a possible 81 points. They do it every single time. And by do it, you mean raise my hopes and then dash them. Yeah. Miserable. I mean, that was... How did you have your hopes raised? How are you still... It's like, he's behind you. He's behind you. How do you you possibly have your hopes raised? You're talking to me as if I constantly go and make out on a foggy night in Lover's Lane in a small car with my girlfriend when there's a slasher on the loose. Is that what you're telling me? I just don't know the rules. The honest truth is... This is not human. What we are watching, this is, this is, we cannot normalise what Liverpool Football Club are doing. This is why I called it a, a, this is like a Marvel movie of a team. This is superhuman, Rog. These are superheroes. You know, there's that New York Times article that Marvel movies are not really, they're not real movies because the... Shock horror, they're not documentaries. The ending ending is never in jeopardy. There's never any sense of how it's going to, never any doubt about how it's all going to end. This is what Liverpool are doing to a game which is anything but predictable. Anything but predictable. Uh, and by the way, I say all of this, praising Liverpool, it is the equivalent of me of eating dog turd. I f- I d- all of this makes me sick. It just makes me end up with the world. Would you rather? It's like one of those Instagram story polls. Oh, bite dog, your turd, bite, dog turd. Dog <laughs> turd. Liverpool. Liverpool wins 79 out of 81 points. Bite your arm off for the dog turd, Daddy-o. <laughs> uh, I'm just, all i got to tell you yeah. is... The hopes were high here because Liverpool entered this one fresh off a defeat. Yes, a defeat in the Champions League to a ferociously determined Atletico Madrid. Jordan Henderson suddenly out for three weeks of a hamstring injury. Got to wonder. You got to wonder. Yeah, you don't want to come out. (laughs) You got to wonder if Liverpool minus Hendo and James Milner late scratch. Yeah. Means the dramatic fall from glory as they begin to drop points at an unprecedented rate. 
and let Man City back into the... That's what I was thinking ahead of this one. It's actually quite sweet that you still think like this. Like, it's, there's no doubt they win the title, that you're still building some kind of drama in your own <laughs> mind about them, about various signs that will, you know, uh, that, that can possibly sort of tell you what's going to... Augers that are going to happen, coming from the gods that are going to tell you what is going to happen. Well, mate, it doesn't matter. We're very close to the Ides of March. Don't get me started on the Ides of March. The commentator's framing, though, did bum me out a little bit at the outset. He goes, this is the battle between overwhelming hope and looming disaster. And I will say, well done, looming disaster. You held out for all of nine big boy minutes. Like, I love looming disaster. Yeah, bring it on. You've just <laughs> sold me on West Ham. <laughs> nice kit, West Ham. I like that super white. Liverpool's goal, it was style. I think, was it 5.37 Liverpool's first goal? Whatever yeah. it was, the whipped in, unstoppable Trent Alexander-Arnold cross. What a playmaker he is. It's been trademarked, that goal. That oh. Liverpool goal has been trademarked, Rod. From right back, a playmaker. Oh, the stooping angle, Wijnaldum header. Game notes say, game over. I tweeted that, actually, in reverse jinx, and it worked because within 156 seconds, what happened, Davo? West Ham only went and figured a way to score a goal, Rog, a big boy goal. From a corner, nutted home by Diop. First goal conceded by Liverpool to the opposition at home since Richarlison in the derby. 867 minutes back in December the 4th. Even when Liverpool concede, Davo, it's a reminder of just how good they are. Big mistake, though. Did West Ham equalise too early? Is there such a thing? Well, this was a weekend of a lot of scoring too early, Roger. And we saw some remarkable things. And in two games this weekend, I'm not going to tell you what the other game was yet, Roger, but we saw a team score too early twice. Yep. Very rare that you score too early once. Even rarer that you score too early twice. And then this one, it was slightly odd to be candid because West Ham's players were fighting for their life. And the Liverpool players, they seem to be playing a different game than normal. They seem more intent on ringing up personal best in some inter-team nutmeg comp that we're not privy to rather than actually, you know, scoring goals. But in the 55th minute, just to lure me in, will you drive your boat, Rog, onto the rocks in treacherous conditions? Yes, I will, sir. Show me where they are and I'll drive my trusty boat right at them. The unthinkable happened. West Ham. They built up confidently. Rice spanked in a cross, which can only be described as TAA-like. And Fournals pivoted on the half volley. It was astonishing, Davey. When that ball went in, 2-1 West Ham, David Moyes punched the air. Like, you laughed at me, world of football, but I am a footballing genius. I'm not going to lie. My nipples got so hard, Davey. For a second, did Liverpool seem mortal? Uh, it was a pretty goal. It was a very pretty goal. And moreover... I would argue that was the worst goal that Liverpool conceded all season. It, they looked like a mortal team for a second. This was like a defensive lapse. This is everything had broken down. They were being exposed. They suddenly looked like, oh, you got too big for your boots and thought you're better than everyone else with your little nutmeg competition, which I believe is contractual, Rog. I think that they, there's so many hundreds of thousands bonuses. of euros it's running in, on nutmeg it's bonuses. It's in cleat bonuses. Nutmeg boni. Um, so, but they did suddenly look a little bit human, but... Rog, it was too early. It was way too early. Could it last? Nope. Could it F? Salah spanked a routine shot at the West Ham goal. It went through Agbonna and then on to Fabianski, who kind of made a 
Oh, an eerie moment to do a Bill Buckner tribute, dropping to his knee and then letting the ball roll right through him. At Weird Name Gang 1 tweeted us, West Ham will win the league in 18 years, like the Red Sox, if Buckner's F-up is anything to go on. Agony, especially for Arsenal fans desperate to protect their invincible record. They are so well-versed, more than me, in the affliction of Flapiansky and poor David Moyes. He reeled away in agony. Oh, I've been saving this tweet for a long, long time. The Moyes are back in clown, Davo. Did you feel for David? Um, not really. I've, I find that he's just a... Di- for me, he's a difficult person to relate to on any human level. In so I didn't way? really... Well, well, he looks like uh, Rango. So for the first of all, he looks like an, uh, a vintage cartoon character of, a, of an animated movie that no one's seen uh, other than me. Um, he's just not that human to me. He also looks a bit like death. When death comes to me occasionally in dreams and like stream versions of the black dog, that looks a bit like David Moyes. So I just don't, he's just not really my kind of football it's manager. It's very reassuring to know that when the time comes, it'll be David, <laughs> David Moyes. David Moyes. Don't you think me he looks like death? Life. You can really see him with the black cloak and the whole scythe. Like, oh, Moisey. We just interviewed John Cooper, the yeah. Tampa Bay Lightning coach, yeah. who for the first 32 years of his life was a public defender. Never played hockey was not a college hockey player, not a pro, but he just loved hockey uh-huh. and got into it. Like his second career, he, one thing he really loved was being a hockey coach. <laughs> Do you think David Moyes is a Premier League coach who really would love to be the... Grim Reaper? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking it's the other way around. It, that he is the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and his second it. career is being a soccer coach. It's just like, you know, when I, I filmed at Sunderland once when they were in their darkest uh, Premier League moment, and the whole thing, I was interviewing all the players, John O'Shea, amazing, Jermaine Defoe, the vicar of Sunderland, the guy who had to wrestle with the issues of faith that being a Sunderland fan, believing yeah. Sunderland, he, uh, an unbelievable interview. And the whole time I was there, I kept saying, you know, I've got to interview the manager. I always interview the manager. And the poor press guy was like, we're doing our best to get, to get David Moyes for you. And I was like, I'm only here for 24 hours. And they're like, we're working on it. We're working on it. And... Um, and he kept saying, oh, he, he won't come out. He can't, he's busy. He's, uh, he's, he's doing in his, his office. first job. No, he's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, you've changed the way I was thinking. But they were like, finally, it's poor press guy turned around. He goes, he's in his, I said, he's in his office. He can, can't, can't come out for 10 minutes. And I'm like, you don't understand. He's actually hiding under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to change out of his cloak. He's, yeah. got, <laughs> he's got to fold away the side. I thought it was because he was having a breakdown. You're, you're talking about because he was doing loftier work I know no he's doing his number one job job number one god I feel like we've cleared up a lot in my life Davo but from that point on well two things Liverpool ran at an organised West Ham like Ghost like Barcelona at their best I mean just the number of weapons they've got to torment opponents you can just see the opponents sapping with energy not physical energy so much but it's just mentally fatiguing chasing down the Liverpool players and the, the winner was inevitable. Salah finding Mane, who finished from what's called Dominic Calvert-Lewin range. Oh, they didn't even have to bring on Origi to do us, David. No, it was amazing. Sometimes you watch Liverpool in that kind of form, and it's like watching the uh, when you play FIFA on the really advanced setting for the first time, and they pass the ball around you. The computer passes the ball around you in a way that you just don't know how to go and play it. And that's what they were like. They were angles, Rosh. There were angles of runs and passes, which I'm not sure I've ever seen before. And once again, I was left wondering, maybe you can answer this, what psychological condition compelled me to invest all my hopes, to trust all my hopes in the David Moyes managed team, despite all evidence pointing to a truth that Liverpool 
would inevitably find a way to win, just leaving me to choke on my bile, on my Schadenfreude, David. I think I don't know why I trusted it. Yeah. I don't know why I gave myself to it. Well, you, it's not the first time. You do this quite a lot in football at various moments, whether it's you just believe comprehensively in teams you back. J-Dub is nothing. So sure that the US men's national team are going to win the World Cup. Every World Cup. I am. Since we've known each other. I still think we're going to win the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. Everton making it to Europe. Everton, which they did once, but then, of course, that was a curse. And then we left Europe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> As you were weaker than you were before you went there. It's almost as if... You want to get your heart broken, Roger. Oh, man. I'm not the first person to say this to you, I know. I th- you but know, you want to get your heart broken. I, th- I think it's a mental illness. I think, I think it's known as peak Englishness, David. I do. I think that's what it is. It's the slight, even though I've become American, there's still a, 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 just a, a residue of Englishness. And I think it screams out to me sometimes during football no, games. it's not peak Englishness. Because what I think Englishness is, remember that old Eddie Izzard uh, routine where he talks about going to the careers officer and he says and he's a little kid and he says I want to be an astronaut and the careers officer says oh you're English scale that down a little bit <laughs> he goes he goes okay I want to be a janitor he's like oh you're English scale that down a little bit <laughs> and then he's like I want to I want to clean the toilets it's like mm, scale that down a bit you're English it's like English people never have lofty goals and lofty levels the thing is that's very un-English about you you are very American in terms of your goal setting your hopes and dreams. It's because I watch Fantasy Island. They're just up, very but... unlikely, always. Um, They're just never going to happen. All I'm going to tell you is, in a footballing context, after watching this game, I am not going to do it again. Also not true, because this is another one of your tropes, that you say you're not going to do things again, not, or you've turned over a new leaf. I'm not. And you don't. At least until okay. Saturday. <laughs> okay. Nigel Pearson yeah. and his Watford is mighty Watford. <laughs> Come on, Nigel. Bring back the name of Nigel. I will say, a shattered West Ham, I felt for them. They had to scrape themselves off that field. They have to go again against Southampton this weekend. And then they've got Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea. Yeah, murderous bad. row. Brutal consecutive weeks. And then, oh, for Liverpool, that noise at Anfield at the final whistle. Astonishing. I mean, I'm a horrible person. I'm a hater. Just put it out there. Telling you something you already know. But that cauldron of shared emotion, David, <laughs> of dreams deferred, all being cashed in at the same time, it was deafening. It really was. And it was remarkable. And it was, it was warranted, David, because this Liverpool team, they are remarkable. You're not a hater, Roger. You're a non-lover. Um, it's a very, very different thing. Uh, they are remarkable. They are remarkable as individuals. They play remarkably as a team. They are remarkably coached by a remarkable individual. I'm sure there are backroom people all over that team, all over that club, doing the most remarkable job. We've lauded their general management. We've lauded their ownership. It is literally everything that is working. Books, Harvard Business School case studies will be written about this team, this club, for decades and decades and decades. 13 wins now by a single goal. That's, to me, the the statistic that stands out in yeah. a in a in a just a plethora of laudatory statistics. It's impossible yeah. not to be impressed by the mentality that that represents that Klopp has inculcated in this squad. You watch them. I mean, other teams were coast. They are they are they've won this title that they've dreamt of for thirty years. They're, they're going away. There's no one challenging them. But you see, when they went two one down, when they were two two. They charged each other up. They compelled each other to keep going forward. They have an addiction, a tenacity. They drove each other to victory. 
And that's what's remarkable about that. I have not seen a Premier League team. Yes, Arsenal were invincible. Yes, Manchester United won title after title. But I've not seen a, a team in a single season who have just been so addicted to winning. Yeah. 18 straight wins now. It ties a record. They will go to break it against Selladwella Watford. Come on, the Orns! On Saturday. And it is. It's impossible not to be impressed humanly. Impress, and all I will say: Please don't win it at Goodison. Please don't win it at Goodison. They're going to win it at Goodison. They could they well doing? win it at Goodison. Roger, a very wise man. One, I think it was Barry Hearn said, "You don't get what you deserve out of football. You only get what you take out of the game." And they managed to steal and grab. They managed to take out of all of these games again and again. <sighs> and all I take is self-loathing. Oh, Roger. Well, let's keep that going. Chelsea two, Tottenham one. Frank Lampard completes the league double over his former boss, Jose Mourinho, thanks to goals on either side of halftime by the old heads, Olivier Giroud and Marcus Alonso, also a bit of war. Spurs pulled one back late on via an Antonio Rudiger own goal. That goal threatened to shine further light on an incident earlier in the match, Rog, in which Giovanni Lo Celso appeared to have stamped on Dave only for VAR to rule no punishment was needed. Because you can do that today. Leaving Lo Celso on the field. But about 20 minutes later, the robot overlords at Stockley Park ruled that their initial ruling was wrong. VAR was VAR. And Lo Celso should have been sent off. In the end, Chelsea stay fourth. Spurs slipped to sick. We'll go deep on that in a little bit in moments to come. But the big battle for this season. The fight for fourth or fifth place, Devo. It's on. Yeah. And this game slightly undermined by injuries to both sides. Kane and Son out for Spurs. Kante out for Chelsea. Tammy returning from injury. Mourinho said this was like going to a fight with a gun without bullets. Needs must. After losing to United, Chelsea reached into their basement, undid the lockbox, commanded Olivier Giroud to emerge in his gimp suit and save the day. Bring on the gimp! His first start in three months. Meanwhile, Jose ended Delhi dropping him to conclude a cycle in which he publicly called out his brother, bigged him up, and then dropped him, which he explained hyper-defensively. I am not sure you ask every manager in the Premier League when one player stays out. Do you ask the same question to them? I prefer not to answer. Jose Logic, he walked out to a muted welcome from Fortress. Well, Fortressy, once Fortress, Sack Fortress, Stamford Bridge. Could you even muster a crap for the man who'd won your team three titles at this point, David? Did it like? Did it feel anything? Yeah, I mean, it still does. Still does. When Uncle Jose comes back, it still hurts a little bit, um, without a doubt. But you want to beat him, and the fact that it's Frank on the sideline, his former pupil, Rog, his son. Did it feel spicy? Yeah, it felt a bit of spicier. Always. That win at Tottenham meant Rich a lot Skywalker, to the club earlier in the Darth season. That wins, the to- wins against Tottenham always means something because... As uh, Frank once said on our pod, Tottenham, you know, they win one game against Chelsea and they make DVDs and they sell them in the club shop. Um, (laughs) Chelsea don't have DVDs of entire title winning seasons. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some spice in this fixture. Maybe more for Chelsea than there is to Tottenham. More this time than there was for Tottenham. I think more important for Chelsea to win this one. Both teams set up with back threes. The, the tactic with which Frank dropped Jose in the reverse fiction was sloppy nervy at the beginning. The only difference at the outset, one side had a striker, Giroud, stretched Spurs' defence with his runs. The other couldn't really hold the ball in attack for longer than two or three seconds. And Spurs lasted about 15 minutes before Jorginho fed Giroud in the channel. What ensued? Yeah, good pass. Jorginho had a good game. Looked very comfortable playing in the centre of that midfield uh, in this game. Much better within that sort of 3-4-2-1, um, whatever that formation was that Chelsea were playing. And, um, you know, he takes a first shot, 
gets saved. He sort of falls asleep. It's amazing, actually, when you watch it. You sort of think, oh, he stayed alive to the whole thing. But he kind of actually went to sleep when Rossitron took a shot, <laughs> as though he knew that Rossitron wasn't... Well, there was that, no that, way that, that ball is, was going anywhere that, near uh, the Ross target. Ross has got it. It's going way over I the know, bar. Exactly. Going to jog back for Pretty a goal much. kick. However, Rossitron somehow hit the target, which is, in football, the target can also be <laughs> a non-goal that hits the crossbar. And suddenly, Giroud woke up, amazed that the ball had actually come back to him. And instinctively, I mean, it's amazing that a man that good looking can do anything that fast oh. without thinking about how good looking he is and is not constantly distracted by that. There are no mirrors around, mate. I know. Well, maybe yeah, that's, how, that's Tot- how you should play against Tottenham. him. Yeah, Tottenham, yeah. Every player should be carrying a yeah, mirror. Don't play players. Just bang mirrors up there. <laughs> oh, we're going to play mirror at yeah, left back today. A Taylor's mirror, that three with the, yeah. with the moving sides. Yeah. He'd be, uh, he'd be yeah. a non-factor. We're going to play three at the back. We're going to do a diamond formation of mirrors in midfield and we're going to put one up front. Big mistake. Yeah. Tottenham, and he knocks it in. Tottenham Great finish. Great finish. It in. Gleek. And you're thinking, oh, why isn't Shrew playing every week? Oh, well, that's the question. I, I will say, first of all, I was thrilled for Giroud. He's I really not a baby. Was. He's a, yeah, he's not, mate. He's not a baby. He's, a, he's more like an old painting yeah. that you've taken off the wall and then stuck in the attic under dust covers. You forgot that you have a hidden treasure lying unused in your own home. I mean, I will say a decision by, and I want to know from your perspective, from a Batshuayi-loving Frank that's always felt a bit unkilted to me because when you look at the stats, Giroud has been involved in 14 goals, 10 goals, 4 assists in his last 14 starts. And when you watched him, just that bellow of joy. He is an old man, but he savoured that, Davo. This day, returned to the team, instantly vindicated. So much glory flowing through his veins. To screw it's a club that had wanted to sign him in January, no less. God, he must have felt, I think, like a French version of that 42-year-old emergency hockey goaltender slash Zamboni driver getting the W in goal for the Carolina Hurricanes with his meaty Canadian forehead. Oh, sports. It was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. And look, I think that Frank knew at the point that he had Reese James and Alonso on the wings at the wing backs, who's going to have a lot of width. Um, it's going to have a lot of space out there on the field. And the balls were going to come in. Olivier Giroud has got that meaty French forehead. He's oh. going to be, he's going to get on the ball a lot. I think that's why they play him. Interesting thing about this goal, though, is it shone the light on the other aspect of Olivier Giroud that makes him somewhat different than other Chelsea strikers, is that he is an instinctive an instinctual finisher from range, which I don't think they've got on that club. Uh, other the than the other thing that's different about him to other Chelsea players is when you actually put him on the field, yeah. he can actually put the ball, you know, in well, the Tammy, goal. Look, in no, the goal. Me, I understand your point, but Tammy Abraham also has that quality, but he's still learning his trade and he's not the most instinctive long-range finisher. He sort of manages to sort of like get on the end of things and figure out a way to sort of contribute. But Olivier Giroud is a class, international, valuable <sighs> striker who knows the job. The commentator instantly dropped his homework stat. Chelsea had scored first in six of the last eight games, but had only won three. Frank's babies, they've been masters of conceding leads. But what shocked me in this game, Davey, how little positive intent that Spurs showed throughout. Yeah, they've got injuries, but who was this? This was Chelsea. Mourinho set up here as if Chelsea were a juggernaut, not a team bleeding in confidence after no wins in the last four. Seemed to be little constructive anything from Tottenham, other than to try and keep it close, have one of those late second half bursts to steal something. And Chelsea's second goal, it really flipped that script. Yeah, fantastic goal, the second goal, and highlighted who I thought was Chelsea's best player on the day, Mason Mount. Long throw in, uh, 
header, one from a throw and in the offensive half. We haven't seen that happen much this season by Giroud. It goes to Mason, who just scampers. He scampers that like no other touch, player. Yeah. First fantastic. touch is fantastic. But he just scampers with pure joy. He's not blessed with incredible speed. but his, Or footballing his, ability. Often. Well, I think he's got footballing ability, but his first touch is not amazing. He's not very fast. He doesn't have outrageous skill, but he just moves with intent the entire time. Passes the ball to Ross Barkley. For the second time in the game, Ross does something unexpected. He thinks so quickly, Rog, and he puts the ball. He didn't. I think, he didn't stop and dribble with the ball, Rog. I think he tried to shoot. <laughs> I've watched it several times. Be. I think it was it a could shot. Be. Could be. That would explain a lot because usually what Ross does with that ball is he holds it, looks, uh, and the, the whole play breaks down. The rest of the team are like, don't pass it to Ross. He always effed it up. I was actually thinking he might be afraid of Marcus Alonso, and that the ball went straight out to Marcus Alonso. And look, there's no better left foot. I mean. I haven't seen a defender with a left foot like that in the Premier League for a long time. And you kind of knew what was going to happen when he ran onto it on stride and bam, just knocks it straight past Lloris. Beautiful goal. Really beautiful goal. Giroud to Mount to Barkley to Alonso. All the players, we should say, who Frank had restored to the side, flinging that ball across the line like a team in the Six Nations Rugby Championship. Alonso delivering... A precision strike. The most Premier League goals by a defender since August 2016. A stat which is self-revealing. It's obviously, that's when Alonso joined Chelsea. It's Marcus Alonso with 16. He's the Premier League John Carlson. Spurs should have been reduced to 10 men shortly afterwards when Lo Celso clearly stamped on Dave's ankle in a way, to be candid, that could have broken it right in front of the benches. I loved how Mourinho said, I could not see it, even though there's like footage of it going down like three feet away from Mourinho, who was staring right at it. The VAR check took forever and decided that it was totally, totally cool. I mean, it was madness. 20 minutes later, the commentator had to tell us that VAR had announced they'd made a mistake, which was like, for me, with VAR, through the looking glass stuff. I mean, this was the weekend of weird for VAR. Almost seems to get more random week on week rather than that they're perfecting it and correcting their errors, Davo. You've got a real take on this, that VAR... I mean, we all got to a point, VAR needs VAR. Well, VAR had VAR this time. And <laughs> VAR said it made a mistake, <laughs> but it didn't change the outcome of what happened. We VAR'd VAR. And we made a mistake, but we're not doing anything about it. This was like, I think VAR, you know, might need more than that. You know, in, in, in the Swedish language, when you say mother, you say moor. And when you say grandmother, you say moor, moor. And when you say great grandmother, you say moor, moor, moor. And sometimes within a large family, big decisions... They can't be handled at moor level, at mother level, or even grandmother level at moor, moor level. They had to be handled at moor, moor, moor level. And really what VAR needs is VAR, VAR, VAR. Varing VAR is not enough. You need a VAR, VAR, VAR. VAR, VAR, VAR. He has a name, Mark Clattenberg. Oh, Clattenberg, Berg, Berg. Great grandmother. I mean, it was. It is who watches a watchman kind of stuff, Dave Owens, or as Jorginho would say, Quis custodiet ipsos custodes. David, to me, the brilliance of VAR yeah. is just like we are living in a divided world, a tribal world. I look, I think the some single of this... thing that unites us is yeah. that our anger with VAR, our hatred of VAR, that is the one beat of our heart that all of humanity shares. But we created this problem also, Rog, as, as soccer fans, as people in the sports media and football, because we wanted to have something that would that would stop clear errors being made in the game. We wanted something to stop the sort of the random things of one man. So we, we sort of allowed this thing to come into that place. That thing and has a name. Way, it's Lee Dixon. Yeah, but VAR, the technology, the technology awesome. is good. We've got slow motion cameras. That We've got all these things to get. But 
it still operated, and we joke that it's robots, but the problem with VAR is it's still operated by humans. Because the AKA one, morons. Yeah, but the one thing that we haven't spoken about much in this game is the communication that happens between the ref and Stockley Park. So this, to me, is a classic case of the ref on the field watches it, because the thing that came out afterwards is this, this, this explanation that I guess went to one of the British TV presenters on Match of the Day, that the explanation which came from Stockley Park is, uh, La Celsa had nowhere else to put his feet. Now, that entered the conversation because the ref on the field said, you know what, I don't think there was clear intent because there has to be intent on a red card tackle like that. It has to be intent to hurt the opposing player. It's like, I don't know that there was intent. There was, he just had nowhere else to put his feet. So what the VAR has to do, what the video assistant referee has to do is taking care of his mate on the field. He has to see this is the intent of the person. This is what's being communicated to me. He has to say... Was there clear intent to go and like hurt the player, or oh, did he was he just struggling to go and put his feet somewhere? And if we want it to be clear and like totally a hundred percent precise, there is no way for that video assistant referee to change the original human error of the referee on the field. It's just this is what happens. VAR is being operated unfortunately by humans until we turn it over a hundred percent to robots, Rog. It's never going to work. Oh, mate, I think you've just fixed it. By the way, I love how we think it's like being dealt with in a sentient way by like a really... Like in the XFL, they actually let you see the decision be made. Another reason why XFL is the only sport for me right now. I don't care about anything else. I'm XFL solo. We XFL crazy. We should hear the communication between the on-field ref and Stockley Park. I don't we know if it's do. Stockley. I think it's a pub near Stockley Park. And it's just like it's just like the barmaid. Wait a minute. I'm just, like, just down in my pint. I think she's just like, I'm serving someone. I didn't see it. You, I don't. No, uh, we, we we do. We think that's like a very scientific thing. I think it may do. So I think I may have just solved it. Back to Chelsea, though. There was a lovely moment in the 71st minute. Giroud left to a grinning standing ovation. One impactful game. Oh, performance only makes to think, why has he not been on the field more this season? J-Dub said he's like a Gallic Wooderson, an old guy still hanging around with the kids. No one can figure out if he's super cool or just creepy. He gets older. Chelsea's babies stay the same age. Liam Twomey of The Athletic notes, in 71 minutes on the pitch, he mustered as many shots on target as Batshuayi had in 15 Premier League appearances and completed almost twice as many passes. Yeah, but Mishi's only there to rack up the likes on Twitter. Baby, he's social media fire. I won't hear it any other way. Lamella dribbled home a lifeline of a goal late off Rudiger, but Chelsea didn't wobble. At the final whistle, Davey, oh, what did you feel? Because the way Frank Lamps punched the air, it was like Judd Nelson at the end of the breakfast club. It was lovely. Relieved. This was a big win for Chelsea after um, that heartbreaking uh, loss at home to Man United. And this meant a lot, really, really meant a lot to get the win-win against Tottenham, to get the win-win against Jose Mourinho. The first time that he has lost home and away in his entire managerial career in the, you know, I think it's probably four countries. I think Jose would describe it as 15 um, countries in which he's managed teams. You get a trophy for that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, pretty much. You do. I mean, it was relief. It was vindication. It was personal pleasure in that double which I think is more than the six points worth if it's a full it's a full sipping the tea moment for him. Scrutiny had been upon him. Kepper dropped, the goals drying up, poor form at home. A loss here would have sent the narrative into full honeymoon is over mode. Thrill for him. Question, does Giroud keep his place for the last 16 of the Champions League against Bayern on Tuesday or do you go Tammy lead the line? I don't know. I think Giroud's going to play. I don't know whether he's going to start or whether he's going to come off the bench. Um, you know, they both 
scare other teams. They both create matchup problems. By the way, we haven't spoken at all about Willy Caballero playing his set. I think Kepa does need to change his name to Caballero. If he changes his name to Caballero, I think he's more likely to play instead of I think that's not that's been an ignored that's been an ignored aspect of Willy Caballero getting the uh, getting the start. Um, I think it's interesting. He's making bold moves now. He's taking bold decisions. Um, the babies must be a little scared right now if the old men are coming back. For Spurs, this was a third-season Mourinho performance from a first-season Mourinho team. Two losses this week after Champions League defeat against Leipzig. Yes, they missed Kane and Son. But I've got to say, that absence doesn't add up to the totality of just the reactive, insipid, negative, tactical nature of this performance. I mean, Mourinho briefs the press. This was the best I could possibly do. But even with them, Against Big Six team, he plays such negative football. Two points from five games against middleweight Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham and Manchester United. You're not special anymore. The chant ricocheted around Stamford Bridge as the Chelsea fans took aim at Jose. And perhaps the only surprise is that Spurs fans didn't join in like Everton fans when the Watford supporters started the chant to laugh at Marco Silva. Buckle up, Arsenal 3, Everton 2. It was Mr Carlos Everton who struck first when Dominic Calvert-Lewin delivered a Street Fighter 2-esque overhead kick in the first minute. Also, almost took David Luiz's head off, Rod. Arsenal stormed back <laughs> to grab the lead through goals from Lewisham boy, Southeast London boy, Eddie and Ketia and Oba, only for Rich Arlison to equalise just before halftime with an all-time crap goal. And then just 24 seconds into the second half, oh, we have so much to discuss. Oba's snap header, his joint league-leading 17th goal of the season, won it for Arsenal. They go ninth. Everton dropped to 11th. We're sure you were very even keeled during this one, Roger. Mate. What an epic tussle this was for ninth place. <laughs> Before the game, you're like, European glory! Oh, God, and we'll get to that. I, I mean, this was a game that was fought with the fragile confidence of two managers peddling the audacious idea of hope. Arteta FC, unbeaten in 2020. Mr. Carlos Everton, no losses in five. An abundance of false bravado, best symbolised, I think, by Mustafi's hair. The guy had four goodish games and overreach for the statement cut. Everton... Hadn't won at Arsenal in over 24 long years. So pull my pants down and tickle my ass when we only go in over no the scoring inside of 49 <laughs> seconds. David! I know. And what a goal it was. What a goal. An overhead kick. When was the last overhead kick scored by an Everton player? <sighs> Mate, don't, you've forgotten already. Yeah. It was 1927. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Feels like yesterday. We were there. Yeah, we were there. Free, amazing. Free kick. I know. 30 yards out. Arsenal decide to mark up like Emery taught them. Cue chaos. Ball somehow hits Louise's comedy shoulder. Just loops up into the sky. Who's there? Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Going all. Oh, poor man's Latan. Slices it into the net with his overhead kick. God bless. Wizard filth. Seven goals in nine. Premier League appearances under Ancelotti for DCL, mate. Cue. Yeah. Synchronised boy band delirium Sally, Led by a man who looks like a different human being 12 goals into the season. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. I mean, amazing goal. Um, 
got really close, as I said, to taking David Luiz's head off. That would have been comedy gold. It, would, it, it sounds tragic. It would have been really funny. Um, and uh, then he leads a dance celebration. I mean, that was, it was nice. I mean, the, the boy's got moves. Yeah, He's got I, moves, I've, though. I've actually watched that dance celebration maybe 11,000 times. You can see Yerry Mina, who's clearly trained super hard at that dance. You can yeah. tell that because he was 15 seconds late and just not on Doesn't move of anybody else. To him. Doesn't come Completely out of sync with the rest of his teammates like he is on corners you got Rich Arlison still going solo even in a group dance <laughs> come and get me Real Madrid I'm not yeah. interested in this the camera's just on me yeah. and you got poor Gilfie God love him no idea what the hell is going on he wasn't there he wasn't He wasn't taught the group dance he wasn't invited to the WhatsApp group chat and in that second as I watched it I had such complicated emotions Dave I was like what has just happened joy and wonder so we have a family-sized portion of OMG. Did we just score too early? Way too early. Do I have to wait 89 minutes of agony with something to lose, David? Something precious. And it reminded me of what you always tell me. It's always lightest before the dark. Very true. I mean, yes, they scored way too early. In fact, they scored so early, way too early, that they would score way too early again. But we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Everton sat in to absorb Arsenal. They dug deep. They seeded possession. Tried to hit the Gunners on the break through Ricky. But then Sidibe, he just made a massive mistake, a huge mistake. He injured Klasenic. Saka came on and his energy just changed the game. He, what a player he is, David. So is young, so fast, so accurate. Amazing move. The 18-year-old takes it down the wing, knocks it in, knocks in a beautiful ball to 20-year-old Eddie and Ketia. A boy... No doubt grew up playing on the windy commons of Blackheath, Rog, just up the hill from Lewisham. My manor. That goal was made on the windy playing fields of Blackheath, Rog. Fantastic touch. What a ball, a defence shredder. And what a delicate wisp of a finish. Tenth assist for Saka. Second Premier League goal for Enketia. Oh, an 18-year-old setting up the 20-year-old. Youth setting up youth. Play the babies, Arsenal. It would Get worse for Everton. The goal made by just the last playmaker in the world you want to see set up a pass like that. David Luiz takes the ball out of defence. You don't, you don't pressure him. You basically say, bring it on, David. Beat us, beat David. Us. We're going to make Send you one of your long us. balls into touch. Send it right into the, into the uh, row H. And, uh, but he's, he hits a slide rule of a pass. And we can. Absolutely he can. That's what's amazing about him. Beautiful, beautiful pass. If you read the Bible, you'll know there's a God of wrath yeah. and a God of love. Yeah. And in the same way, there's a David Louise of comedy slapstick. And there's a David Louise of piercing or inspiring through balls. And I'm more and more convinced he's just the Premier League Adam Sandler, this man, David. He can do, I, I can toss off Jack and Jill slapstick, Dunkachinos for you. But I can also deliver uncut gems, wow. Dave. I can go straight. I can, I can safty brother a pass that leaves Sadibe floundering and Obama Yang in to sprint on and just pass the ball past Jordan Thickford's outstretched child arms. That's what happened. It was, it was safty brothers. You just blow my mind, Rog, because I've been listening a lot to NPR this week. It's something I don't always do, but I've been doing it in LA. And there's been this, this constant story in NPR playing again and again and again about matter and anti-matter. Juan and Mata and anti. Uh, who's, uh, that, who's anti Juan Mata? Uh, no, no, no. Well, even Who, Juan Mata. If you're tired every, of Juan Mata, you're against every, like... Every atom in the universe has like an anti-version. Even Juan Mata has an anti-Juan Mata. Um, there might not be equal amounts or the world wouldn't exist because Big Bang would have had an anti-matter that would have wiped it out. So nobody can quite figure that out. But anyway, the scientists at CERN at the Hadron Collider have figured out how to like keep antimatter alive long enough to study it. And what you've just exposed to me is David Louise 
has both matter and antimatter. So to every like negative thing that David Luiz does, to every action is an equal and opposite reaction. There is just as much positive with David Luiz. Yeah. Mate, have you not been listening to me? Wow. I've been banging on about that for the last seven years. I've been no, trying to keep it never simple. Never listened to you before. I've been trying to make it David you Luiz never, a metaphor for the work I've been doing in the laboratory <laughs> at Bern. I will say, while we're talking about Juan Mata, go and watch our Visit Britain film Ooh. with Juan Mata at his restaurant Tapeo. His Spanish tapas restaurant, for which is not anti tapeo, not anti tapeo, <laughs> which is across the street, which is crap. Because <laughs> tapeo is awesome. Oh, but that's on our Twitter now. Oh, I'm gonna order the anti anchovies, oh. uh, anti tapeo. And by the way, when they went two one up, I was like, Arsenal resilient. Where's this come from? Everton's backline, anything but. With Sidibe and Yerry Mina, just I can say they're admirably inconsistent. Yeah. The local Liverpool paper, the Echo, joked that Everton's corridor of uncertainty is a yawning chasm, which I love. It's genuinely incredible to me in this moment. This I was like, I stepped back from myself, and I was like, only football can make you one minute to dream of European journeys to come, Davo. And then within minutes, you find yourself behind the couch, just totally broken, sobbing in front of your own children, living out Tyrion Lannister's quote, oh, when you think you're safe and happy, your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. I will say, my, <laughs> my poor kids, they were, they were in sheer horror watching this, Davo. Yeah. And it's not even done yet. I know. That's the great thing. I'm not trying to say. halfway through. No, mate. I will, I will say I was like covered in my own urine. I said, kids, Again. don't look at daddy. But then I realized, hang on a minute, mate. It is only Arsenal we're playing. Attack that soft core, Everton. And what do they do on the stroke of halftime? The equaliser. Yeah, Judge Ivor Bennett time. Yes. What your father... The hanging judge, yep. Ivor Bennett, was often described as like the most crucial time to score a goal because... Well, there's two of them, as we often say. And unfortunately, Arsenal scored in the second one right before halftime yep. because the manager, my dad thinks, has got his team talk just written by the 40th minute. And yep. by scoring in the, around the 45th, you force the manager to ad-lib, which managers don't like to do, to yep. improv, to do improv team talks. And if you score in which the Arteta clearly did really badly. And if you score in the 46 minute, just the other side of halftime, then the players are totally confused because the manager's just given them a team talk, and now they've let in a goal and yeah. they don't know what to do. Which actually, you mock it, but it proves yeah, no, to that be was true, true. Sadly, yeah. in this game, it's one out of two. But on the stroke of halftime, oh, just corner slot. And where there's corner slot, fear and confusion. Who is the Davy? That's Rich Arlison. Ricky and 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 the antimatter of him, David Luiz. By the way, I urge you, and I only watched this when I was looking at the replays when we were building the show today. How far David Luiz's head is away from the ball? David Luiz <laughs> on this corner leaps up and mimes heading the ball. It's amazing. I saw exactly the same when thing when he's today. absolutely nowhere near the ball. And I With will his say, eyes shut. and I watched it, and I was like, oh my god! I said to Jacobs, comedy mime is the hardest of the arts. Really hard. It, it is. Knife throwing, easier. Just like catching a bullet in your teeth, easier. Doing comedy mime, incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I will say, my God, who swoops in as the ball slops around? Ricky, Allison, Kung Fu, fighting like Carl Douglas. Joy, everything possible once more. Immortality was ours, Davo. My confidence lasted a full 24 seconds into the second half. Yeah, it was unfortunately, this changed the uh, Arsenal team talk. The Arsenal team talk was clearly very, very good. Rog, and uh, they come out and just, you know, mere seconds, seconds. I think Everton's team talk was, lads, keep that defence static. Just keep being static. Yeah. No movement. No We movement. don't want to confuse don't, anybody. Don't confuse uh, each whatever other with you movement. Do, don't mark over. 
Don't mark over. Michael, what a header. You know football. You know football. That's how we want you to defend. <laughs> Just Give pretend you're all on, on a, a stick, lad. You're all on a stick. <laughs> Pretty much. And you can't be flicked. You can't be flicked. What a header, though. It's finishes. Yeah. They are so intelligent. Yeah. League Fantastic. Co-leading 17th goal. And he was the difference maker on this day because he was the one man on the field whose finishing was decisive. The camera in that moment cut to Ancelotti. Just the sheer agony. His gob wide open in shock. It was like full on. Like if his VO was like, I bet you're wondering how I got here, record scratch. The camera just panned in on him shakily, which made it even more eerie. We didn't, poor Carlo, didn't even have the physical or mental strength left to even lift an eyebrow. And this was the moment a Tracy Chapman fast car moment when Carlo Ancelotti realised the true meaning of what it is to be an Evertonian. To know that your fate is death, but be doomed to live it over and over and over again. Welcome, Carlo. We've been expecting you. Yeah. You, I looked at that face and I was thinking that what it really says is like, oh my God, I'm the manager of Everton. <laughs> I am actually... At this point in my career, I've been everywhere. I've done so much in football. I am the manager of Everton Football Club. And I'm looking at you, and we still have that large Carlo in-shot poster above yeah. your right-hand shoulder from the television show today. And uh, it just reminds me that with all my mood swings in this game, my Apple Health app, Davo, I actually thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could Everton do it? Could they hell? I mean, just, oh, I will say, Gilfie, one of the most upsetting parts of my season, just a joy in my life when he signed, now an ill-judged decision-maker whenever he's on the ball. It was heartwarming to see Andre Gomez back 112 days after his gruesome injury. He's exactly what Everton need. Just guile, passing ability and handsomeness in midfield. He propelled Everton back into the game. We pressed the life out of Arsenal. One team had had two weeks off, the other three days, and you could really see the difference. Arsenal... Just wilted. DCL had four great chances with the goal gaping, but they were from three feet out, way outside oh, of his range. Too far no, for him, he right? No, doesn't do three feet. No, it's Everton's problem. They've got Everton, I've realised, have got to create chances from five to seven inches out for yeah. DCL, Davey. Yeah. He's like the Premier League Ben Simmons. And I will credit Leno, who was quick to smother when called upon. And that was it. Huge win for Arsenal, right? Well, yeah, I guess so. Meaning that it was third wasn't, win in a week. Meaning it wasn't a huge win for Everton or even a good point for Everton, but it takes them up to ninth place. It's still going to be very competitive up there to get into Europe. There are a lot of good football teams there, Roger. Still a work in progress, but you can see the progress, yeah, the organisation, the directness, the tenacity, none of which existed in the Emery Dark Ages. They're not perfect. Mm. They've got great strengths. They have clear weaknesses. They've got a soft core at the back, but they are now four points off fifth. West Ham. Brighton, Southampton, Norwich are the next four league opponents. It's happening. Uh, I do believe, though, for Arsenal fans, much of the optimism revolves around next season when there'll be real expectations of reasserting themselves once more. Everton, though, Davo, this one hurt for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah, they dropped to 11th. Suddenly looking a little less European-y. Well, that's what hurt, Davo. I mean, the, the one thing, and the realisation for me was... The thing that hurt most was, A, it was all so bloody predictable to lose away at a top six team, to flatter, to deceive, to raise hopes only to absolutely crap on them. And then I spent the afternoon reliving the DCL goal, that 49th second moment of wonder, just that flickering hope. And it reminded me of the Dante quote that there's no greater sorrow 
than to recall a moment of happiness in times of misery. If there's one author you should not be reading, it's Dante. Rog. There's many stay authors. Away from there's Dante. many authors, mate. Stay away from books. <laughs> and thoughts <laughs> yeah. and ideas. I, I began the day dreaming of Champions League fifth place. Rebecca what? Lowe, by the final whistle. <laughs> you're out of your mind. Why? Why not us? This is what I want to know. Because you're Everton? Why not us, David? Why can't we have joy? I mean, by the end of the game, Rebecca Lowe, I was like, Champions League, and by the end of it, Rebecca Lowe was releasing our position again to the relegation zone. Here's a question. Why can't we have joy? Why is it never us? Multiple reasons, Rog, that you really don't need me to go into. Ownership, terrible transfer dealings. You've had like 15 managers this season. There are lots of reasons. Here's what I've come to realise, because <laughs> I have been trying to rationalise this. I spoke to my greatest childhood friend, Jamie Lessman, my ride or die since the age of zero. True yeah. blue. Yeah, lovely guy. I was feeling very low. And he said, on the phone, he said, we Everton fans, we have to suffer these lows so that we can savour the highs when they come. <laughs> the worst possible thing that could happen to you is an actual high. No, it would make you miserable. He said, Liverpool fans think they're special because they've had to wait 30 years for it. He said, just think how special it will feel when Everton win the league for the first time after 130 years. Yeah. Roll on. Yeah. The year 2117. Yeah. We're going in. It's coming home. Yeah. Unbelievable, Rog. Okay. Man United 3, Watford 0. United struck first, Vera Hopscotch, Bruno Fernandes penalty. And after VAR chalked off a Troidini goal for handball in the build-up, United blew the roof off this one. A disrespectful drag back and dink from Tony Martial and a blast from young Mason Greenwood put the game beyond doubt. Watford win this in five. United, meanwhile, surging to fifth. Just three points, Rog, off Chelsea. The Odeon Agale Memorial Derby. Mm. And United have a new cult hero, Davo. Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. Oh, it's a rival. It's changed United's value proposition since yeah. his first appearance at the beginning of February. United, two wins, two draws, no losses, all comps. He's like a feral Portuguese spark plug. He is. He's, he's direct. He's competitive. Not quite sure what position he fits into on this Man United team. I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows exactly where to play him or what to do with him, but he's a proper footballer. Yeah, he won and then finished the impudent penalty, his little skip, so yes. extra. But what a player. He's intelligent, his runs, he proves opponents' vulnerabilities, and most importantly for this team, his leadership. It is honestly fascinating from a Pogba perspective to look at United with a true midfield leader. For Watford, Fat Drake, Troy Deeney. Troy Deeney. Had a corner scraps goal ruled off for unintentional handball in the build-up. God's plan. And from that point on, the tenor change. United not being the most convincing, but two magical goals made this a feel-good Sunday. Taste of what could be when everything clicks. Anthony Martial, quiet. Oh. But he woke up with a goal of elite cheek poetry and wizard filth, David. How is Tony Martial not one of the biggest stars in the Premier League because he really isn't still he just isn't still and he's that good he's so good I can't imagine another player in the Premier League doing what Martial did in this goal that drag back and cl- oh, chip so good oh, as the great Ray Hudson would say it was like wrestling a ghost it's like playing poker with a wit Mason Greenwood though oh, oh that mate. finish amazing a thunderous Wolf Blitzer his 11th goal of the season all comps 5th in the Premier League United are moving on up to 5th place Manchester United back is back.
Leicester nil, Manchester City won amid the maelstrom of their looming Champions League ban for financial fair play violations. Rod, second place City, second in inverted commas, place City get one <laughs> over on the third place Foxes in a pretty ho-hum affair at the King Power. The game's lone goal came from substitute Gabriel Jesus in the 80th minute, just three minutes after coming on as a sub for Sergio Aguero, who had a penalty saved by Kasper Schmeichel. City stay second, second, inverted commas, Leicester stay third. <laughs> White-collar crimes, Manchester City against Brodgers, Wilton Leicester. I was fascinated how last Wednesday City fans celebrated Pep's 2-0 midweek win over a deceased West Ham United by chanting, We'll see you in court. We'll see you in court. F off UEFA. We'll see you in court. I mean, why else do we become football fans, Davo, other than to sharpen our understanding of forensic accounting and legal proceedings? Because I'm sure they've read all the emails and come to a really, you know, balanced, balanced, thoughtful, (laughs) informed decision about that. I mean, this game, an odd one, really as a a massive game, felt like the stakes were lower. City, they're not catching Liverpool. Leicester taking their foot off the pedal as they cruise on Liverpool's backdraft into the Champions League. City tried to fizz up some excitement by wearing a crime against fashion, as if they were publicly negotiating with UEFA. Repeal our two-year Champions League ban, but make us wear this shameful monstrosity for the next two seasons like a yellow and pink scarlet letter. In terms of action, Cuneguero wrapped a penalty right off Schmeichel's meaty girth. City and penalties, Davo. Fifth miss out of their last seven. It's unclear. Which are they worse at? Penalties or kit? Trick question, because the answer is actually financial fair play. <laughs> Aguero came off. On came Gabriel Jesus. Subbed on within four minutes. Scrappy do. Open the scoring. Scooping the ball over an exposed Schmeichel. And City close the game out in the way they do. Belly letting Leicester touch the ball again. And that was it. Cut the lead at the top to 19 points temporarily. Leicester season playing itself out like a dead rubber. 12 points from their last 11 league matches for Brodgers team. It was eerie this week though, Davo. Listening to Pep over-celebrate this victory. He said, ask me about these guys. Do you still doubt what they've done? In every game, it's about them, the personality. There are no doubts. Do you feel like he's overcompensating here? Yeah, no, could be. Could be overcompensating. Um... It's a funny, God, being a Man City fan must be a very, very weird time right now because suddenly you've had the meaning of this season taken away first by Liverpool and now it starts to get taken away. Even the battle for Europe gets taken away by UEFA, Rog. And you just don't know, what is the point? In what for world we live, Rog, as Louis van Gaal would say. Dropping the great philosophers on me, Dave. Raheem Sterling, probably more honest when he told the Italian media, no one at City knows what will happen which was perhaps a little more terrifying from a Manchester City perspective. Burnley 3, Bournemouth 0. The Clarets continue their recent surge up the table, but not without controversy. Microphone check. Mate Vidra opened the scoring in the 53rd minute with his second goal in as many games. In the 58th minute, after what looked to be an equaliser from Harry Wilson, VAR ruled that Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, had used his arm to break up a Burnley attack way back in the build-up. Oh, so cruel. So instead of a Cherries goal, Burnley were awarded a penalty. J-Rod converted. Dwight McNeil added a third. And in the end, Burnley get their fourth win in five. They're now 10th and within touching touching distance of Europe. We're really making Europe a thing. Too many teams are in for Europe, Rog. And Bournemouth are Tom Petty free-falling that was the cruelest VAR decision in a weekend of cruel VAR decisions one minute you are celebrating a goal oh, a much needed goal the next you're in a body bag that is the VAR way and having played six out of the last seven games against the other members of the bottom six and failed to score in four of them 
For Bournemouth, life is a darkness sandwich. Wolves 3, Norwich nil. Nuno's more bludgeon the lowly Canaries thanks to a Diego Jota brace and a third goal from Raul Jimenez. Norwich remain nailed to the bottom of the table. Wolves still in the thick of the top four race, just five points behind Chelsea. Yeah, just five goals for 23-year-old Diego Jota this week. He can't stop scoring, killer first touch, driving finishes. Five goals, one assist in his last two games, 146 minutes if I'm being precise. Tottenham up next for Wolves, massive game. And after that, they've got a relatively kind run into the end of the season. Brighton, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa. They'll be tasting Champions League football. Oh, like Tyson Fury supping blood. Sheffield United won, Brighton won. The Blades hit 40 points after Ender Stevens and Neil Mopé traded first half goals in this one. But Chris Wilder hoping for much more. Sheffield United stay unbeaten in three games. They're four points off fourth place, Chelsea. How do you say chip butty in Walloon, Rog? You know, I've got to say about Sheffield United, you hear Mourinho complain that this is the best I can do with the resources at my disposal. And then you watch Sheffield United and see them week in, week out, and it makes it even more remarkable. Though a massive point for a resilient Brighton in that bare pit of Bramall Lane. Oh, more pay with his first goal in nine games. I love this story about Chris Wilder, Sheffield's magical manager, who lives as close as possible to his home stadium so that he can get there on the bus on match days. He decided to jog in on Saturday. He was wearing a hoodie and a bobble hat and also a Sheffield United scarf and a street canvasser. You know, like one of those guys with a clipboard. They stopped him and wanted to have him fill in a questionnaire about the match day experience at Bramall Lane and whether it could be improved. Survey guy had no idea who Chris Wilder was. <laughs> Just the anonymity of greatness. Talking about magical and anonymity and having no idea about anything, I must say I, uh, my other half is getting to experience some Premier League football at the weekend. She's forced to watch games with me. And one of the games we watched this weekend was Sheffield United against Brighton. And she looks at it. It's like watching someone watch a sort of a fantasy movie, a, a world which she can't possibly understand. Even the names of the teams. She sees SHU against BHA. And I said, who do you think's playing? And she's like, it's the Shoemakers against the Bar Humbugs. <laughs> like she has only references in musical theatre and animated Disney movies. Arsenal versus Everton was the Aristocrats versus the Eves. <laughs> like everything is like this sort of weird, magical little world to her. She can't possibly... Possibly oh, just give a crap. Just wait till she finds out how many G's Greg Barthold has said. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to blow her mind. I know. It's so true. So true. Southampton to Aston Villa. I haven't even explained Aston Villa to her yet. Uh, nil. An eighth-minute bank shot off Shane Long's Irish midsection and a last-minute goal from Scott Stewart-Armstrong. Lift the Saints over the relegation-threatened oh. villains. Ralph Hampton, not just a place, it's a state of mind. State of mind. And that state of mind is 12th on the table, Rog. But next Sunday's Carabao. Cup final looming. Bittersweet days for Aston Villa. Villa meltdown. Yeah. Dean Smith called his team's performance, quote, embarrassing. Said there are, quote, too many training ground players in his squad after watching them suffer a ninth Premier League defeat in 13 matches. He also had to damp down rumours of a tunnel fight between himself and Boy Scout assistant coach John Terry at halftime. Hmm. Which couldn't have happened, could it, David? No, 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 not, a, not based on what? everything we know about no. John Terry. And if it had happened, we'd know yeah. about it, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would. Because Dean Smith would have been doing his post-match interview with his undies just winding <laughs> around his, his ears in a suicide wedgie. So, yeah. so proof, back off, back I know, off. I might be in a minority of one here, but I honestly think that Jack Grealish has got to start playing in long socks because it's distracting. He has such tanned legs. Yep. They're so muscular. 
I think he just makes all of his other teammates feel like unworthy. The I mean, second they walk he in also the field. wears. Uh, I chatted to him about it before the season started. He wears child's uh, shin pads. Yeah. Also, it makes his legs look even uh, longer, which is something I've been doing with my tiny <laughs> lower torso. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Crystal Palace one, Newcastle nil. Rog Palace, my side chick, get yes. their first win in eight games thanks to a major laser free kick from PVA Patrick Van Arnholt in the 44th minute. What a season he's having. Uh, the win lifts Palace to above Newcastle. They now sit 13th and 14th respectively. Both teams with a little work left to do before reaching safety, but also in contention for a place in Europe. <laughs> Less a football game, more a crap off. Yeah. Oh, Crystal Palace secured their first win in eight Premier League games after losing three and drawing four. Newcastle have now managed just one win in their last nine. Yeah. Rarely will a win against Newcastle be more celebrated. It's Palace's first victory in 2020, and it brings a modicum of relief. I am fascinated, though, <laughs> to see where Steve Bruce's mind is right now as his team just stumbles on a road to nowhere. Back from the winter break, at his first press conference, he was asked his first question up, serious question by a journalist. He said, Steve, how was the break? And he earnestly responded, I was the bacon, do you say? <laughs> the bacon. The bacon. Did you, are you talking about the bacon? Yeah, bacon. The bacon. Like, earnestly, he wasn't trying to be funny. This was not, this was like, he was like, genuinely, of course they're asking me about all the bacon I've imbibed. Yeah. Other people went to Dubai. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Tom Davis kind of hammed it up at fashion. What did Steve Bruce do? Yeah. He's just in the bacon. Yeah, in bacon. the bacon. <laughs> just stuffing my gob full of bacon. Yeah. Oh, mind is on the pork products and got pork products on my mind. When I explained to Christine that the uh, that there Your was girlfriend. actually a team called Crystal Palace, she said, "Like, how can you possibly laugh at me for thinking that Brighton and Hove Albion are the bar humbugs? This oh, seems like mate. a much more rational name for a team than Crystal Palace." Oh, okay. Uh, by the way, if you watch Frozen and Frozen Two, there's yeah. only one team you're supporting in the Premier League. Really? The Crystal Palace. It's magic, I tell you. The Beacon. Your Carabao Cup final weekend looks like this. Why do we have the Beacon Cup? The Newcastle <laughs> would win that. Oh, it's a Beacon. The do you beacon. see? It's actually a play for all the Beacon. <laughs> The trophy, the trophy made of bacon. The middles made of bacon. Everything made of bacon. A ball, a a football made of bacon. That's how you survive. That's how you have the end of season games that mean nothing. Games that mean nothing towards the end of the season, which is like, stop playing them for points. Give the players bacon. Bacon for the winner. Bacon. Next goal against bacon. 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 Your Carabao Cup final weekend looks like this in the league. Watford hosts Liverpool at 12.30pm uh, Eastern Time Saturday. God, Sunday, Everton hosts United and Spurs host Wolves. Both those games kicking off at 9am. Bacon! In the, in the Carabao Cup, 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 Cup final finalty. It's Villa versus City at 11.30am on <sighs> ESPN+. Plus. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister. See what the future holds. Rogelio. Oh, I've been dying for this moment in the podcast. Here we go. My saving grace. But it also brings news of dark wings, dark words. Anthony Martial, the personification of Jägermeister's new cold brew, icing his veins and his lasers set to stun. Oh, he's going to kill this game after DCL scores twice from a combined three inches out. Mason Greenwood, Fernandez, and Martial Lake going to do us. My Champions League dreams will be downgraded to please let us in, Europa League. I take back everything crappy I've ever said about you. Bite your arm off for Europa League, mate. And some bacon. 
Uh, my shot of Jägermeister, Rod's taste of low slung socks, short shorts, and kiddie shin pads. Jack yes, Grealish. I see him scoring in this one. City still win it 3 1. It's not me, it's the Jägermeister, Rod. 5 1, break. Beacon. Beacon. 5 1 and the trophy middle. Beacon. Uh, there are many other ways to connect us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Board Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Board Mart, we get a tiny percentage. It allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Board Mart this week, Roger? Oh, a book! Bacon! Yes, there's a meat I've just found! It's called Bacon! Oh, usually. Bacon, you say? <laughs> oh, by the way, can I say Netflix, Giri Hadji, like, I can't believe it's one of those series I can't believe everyone's not talking about. It upsets me deeply. Just that finale, just the last episode, I'm not going to ruin it. The finale in that last episode is one of the most beautiful it made me cry user friendly how the hidden rules of design are changing the way we live work and play by cliff quang and robert fabrican i am fascinated by product design and this is an engrossing history of how the design of commercial products which has been bent by technology to create the expectation that all machines should be built to anticipate human desire from Apple devices to Disney theme parks or next generation vegetable peelers, all of them user centric design as the aesthetic of our era. This book examines how successful products are now expected to give people what they want rather than what we say we want, which is a mind blowing difference, an ethos that when dragged to its conclusion, leads to screen addiction. Good old screen addiction. Oh, I love it. Oh, and even better, political turbulence. Mm. See, and also, I guess, the story of Jewel. That's a zeitgeist example of that. The book is mind-stretching. It's easily readable. Oh, if Graham Potter was a book, this would be him. And I mean that in a good way. Rog, did I tell you I've built a new movie theatre? in my crap back house in West Hollywood. I've built a movie theatre. I've never had a screening room. I know people like probably imagine I've got multiple screening rooms. I've never had a screening room in my life. I finally like splashed out. So proud pulled of you. All my Sony, pulled in all my Sony contacts. I've built a screening room. It's finally done. Is it like, an IMAX? No, it's not IMAX, but it's good. Not interesting. It's great. And it's got it? a, most importantly, it's got a bar in it filled with Jägermeister and Budweiser. It is just a fantastic, so fantastic, it's fantastic the screening room. With the, and it's got Birken, Birken. Birken. <laughs> um, so uh, screened my first movie in there. Went to my kids who came out for President's Day weekend. So what do you want to watch? And my daughter Ingrid said... Schindler's List. No, want to watch... It's slightly different. Slightly different. Wanted to watch Abominable. And I was like, okay, we're going to watch Abominable. The other kids hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen Abominable. Um, and we watched Abominable. And, you know, it's a DreamWorks movie. I'm a Disney veteran, former cast member. Rog, don't usually get into the DreamWorks movies, despite the fact that my brother worked there for several years as a writer. And uh, we watched Abominable. What a film, Rog. What a motion picture. You know what it's about? It's about a girl called Yi. She discovers a yeti living on a roof. It's not a documentary. It's an animated film. Discovers a yeti living on a roof. And she has to figure out how to get the yeti back to Everest while you've got some financier and some insane American redheaded zoologist trying to like stop her from getting the yeti home. But it is a beautiful, 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 moving, moving film. But here's the plot twist. Go on. At the end of it, you talked about being English, and this is the most English thing you will ever hear. So within my family, within the Davis family, my brother and I work in the same business. He's a movie writer, a TV show runner. I'm a TV show runner and a crap football host. We never really talk about what we do. And at the end of the movie, Ingrid goes on to the Wikipedia and she looks up who wrote the movie. My brother wrote the movie. No and effing I had way. no effing idea while we watched it and I was talking about it. So... Proud of my brother, proud of my bro. It's a really, really, really good film. Abominable. Rent it. 
You don't even need kids to watch it. Just watch it with your mates. Very so, moving. It sounds like you not to cry. Your brother's just written the Dejan Lovren biopic. <laughs> Pretty much. It did remind me of Dejan Lovren <laughs> quite a lot. You can follow us on Twitter at Men Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. On Facebook, uh, that's just Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Matumbo? I like snacks. Balls win. Balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrogado rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Oh, I love you too, Rog. How's the bacon, do you see? Bacon. Bacon. <laughs> Not coming out. <laughs>